Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. We are looking at Mark, the 14th chapter, the passage that was read a moment ago. And I want to welcome all of you here tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. Very grateful for the presence of each and every one tonight. Very grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together tonight to worship God and also to be among some of the greatest people in the world, and that is God's people. Tonight as we look at Mark chapter 14, I want to ask a question. How much do you think of Jesus? Before you answer that question in your mind, think again about what Jesus means to you personally. Someone has said in days gone by that talk is cheap. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so as we look at Mark chapter 14, we have an incident in the life of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, the cross is looming before him. And there is an act of devotion paid to Jesus by a very special lady, one of his followers. And so again, I would ask you the question, how much do you think of Jesus? Look, if you would, with me at Mark chapter 14 tonight. I want to begin by talking about this extravagant gift. And as we look at our text, we find Jesus... The Bible says that he is in Bethany. And so we could talk a little bit about the setting, the place and the people with whom Jesus was with on this occasion. Bethany, of course, was located about two miles, not very far from the city of Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus, very acquainted with this place. And Jesus had some very special friends we can read of those friends in the scriptures, and certainly on this occasion, he is among friends. And one of the things that strikes me about the life of Jesus, the numerous friends that he had, many, many people sought to be in the presence of Jesus, and no doubt they understood that they were in the presence of someone very, very special. But Jesus primarily is with Simon, who had been a leper. He is in his home. Also with him are Mary and Martha. And of course, we think about Lazarus and the friendship that they had cultivated with the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was sick, we know that Lazarus ultimately died and the Lord Jesus went for the very specific purpose of raising him from the dead. And so the Bible tells us that being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Let's talk for a minute or two about this sacrifice. An alabaster flask would have been something made from, I guess, rock-like what we would call marble. Maybe a little softer than marble, but nonetheless made from something like that. It would have had a long neck on it. And the contents, of course, very fragrant oil. 
And apparently, Mary on this occasion broke the top off of this box and then began to apply this very fragrant perfume on Jesus. And so let's talk for a minute or two about the cost of her sacrifice. And listen to what is said again. As he sat at the table, the Bible says that Mary came having this alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Down in verse 5, the text tells us that the value of this was some 300 denarii which would have equated to about one year's wage. And so this was a very extravagant gift. I mean, you think about how much money you earn in a year. And here was a lady taking what we would say that would equate to 300 days worth of wages and literally giving it to the Lord says something to me about what she thought about Jesus and the devotion that had been cultivated in her life. And just step back and think for a moment or two. She had been an intimate friend of Jesus. And no doubt she had seen many, many great things. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 11, as I mentioned a moment ago, She had the opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus when he raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And you recall as they were at the tomb when Jesus told them to remove the stone, the statement was made, Lord, he's been dead four days. His body is already undergoing decomposition. And yet Jesus had the the power to raise him from the dead. And no doubt this would have made a profound impression, not only on her life, but on the lives of many other people. Somewhat interesting that in John chapter 11, with regard to that great miracle, that many believed, but then there were others who rather than believing, they saw the evidence, but they left and began to plot and to plan how they might have Jesus executed or put to death. So there was something very special that she saw in Jesus. And again, you think about the mighty works. And then what about his words? Did she not have the opportunity to listen firsthand to Jesus? To sit and to listen to what Jesus had to say? Peter, of course, in John chapter 6 talks about Jesus having the words of eternal life. Do you remember that in John chapter 6 when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life? And the Bible says that the Jews on that occasion said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Who can accept it? And John said that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. The Lord Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter then Ask this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't you think that Mary had obviously come to the conclusion that Jesus 
was indeed who he claimed to be. And so the cost of her sacrifice. And then what about the cause of her sacrifice? Why? Why would this lady take this very expensive perfume, nearly a year's worth of wages, and apply it to the body of Jesus? Why would she do that? And again, doesn't that say something about what she thought of Jesus? You remember in verse 8, Jesus would say, that she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. I want to maybe talk a little bit more about that in a moment or two. But the cost of her sacrifice and the cause. Sometimes we talk about cause and effect. Why do we do what we do? Why do we engage in certain actions in life? In the realm of Christianity, why do, we, why do we invest our lives in Christianity, in serving the Lord? Is it not the case that we understand, we appreciate the intrinsic value associated with living for Jesus? And don't you think that this, that this sweet lady understood something about the nature of Jesus? It is interesting in looking back at Jesus during the course of his ministry as he foretold of his death. It was not something unexpected or random. But at the very beginning of his ministry, as a matter of fact, in John chapter 2, do you, do you recall after Jesus turned water into wine at the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, that Jesus would say in that same, well, a little bit later in the, in the chapter, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. They thought that Jesus was talking about his, they thought he was talking about the physical temple. Jesus was talking about his physical body, that temple. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our lesson. First, the extravagant gift. And then there was what I would call an exploitation of this gift. And so listen to what is said. There was an objection that was raised. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Now look at the contrast there. On the one hand, you have Mary who recognized that Jesus was someone very special and she sought to do something for him in light of his impending death, demonstrating the value that she placed on him and the relationship that they enjoyed with one another. And so they, they chide. They chide. Mary, because to them this was waste. Now, if you read John's account, Judas Iscariot apparently takes the lead in this. And the Bible says that he raised this objection, not that he cared for the poor because 
In verse 5 it says, this might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. It wasn't because Judas had a soft heart and was interested in the poor and those who were downtrodden, in need of benevolent help, not at all. Rather, John said that Judas was a thief. And really, what he was doing was pilfering the money that was in the collection box. And so they raised this objection, and not just Judas, but those, some of those present with him on this occasion, they began to, to join in the dissent. And Mark said they criticized her sharply. Now think about that for a minute. Here is this lady that obviously has tremendous respect and awe for Jesus. I have no doubt that she loved the Lord with all of her heart. And she's trying to do something for him. And they criticize her. Make light of it. And so you have this objection, but then there was what I would call a correction. A correction by Jesus. Listen to him in verse 6. And I really appreciate what Jesus said because in a way, to me, he rescued her from her critics. The Lord Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Now let's just pause here for a minute. Do you think the Lord Jesus appreciated what Mary did on his behalf? I think that, I think that he did. They were objecting and criticizing her for her act of kindness and devotion. The sense of worth that she placed in Jesus. And yet Jesus defended her. And he said in a very concise way, let her alone. She's done a good work for me. Aren't you grateful that the Lord Jesus is willing to defend his people as, she did, as he did on this occasion? And then, note if you would, not only did he rescue her from her critics, but again, he reasoned with her critics. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. He said, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do good. You may do them good, but me you do not have always. And then in verse 8, he said, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see, and then I want us to maybe make some application here. And that is the explanation of the gift. And first, there is a commendation by the Lord. So I want to go back to verse 6 again, and I want you to listen again to what Jesus says. Let her alone, for she has done a good work She's done a good work for me. Doesn't that say something about her actions? The word work really underscores activity, doesn't it? 
Here was a lady expending energy for the Lord. And you think about as his people today. Sometimes we say that we have been saved to serve. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said that, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the word workmanship there means masterpiece. Here's with it the idea of a piece of, of art, something of great worth. And what Paul is saying in that context is, as a child of God, we are of great worth. We are God's masterpiece. We have been transformed, and as a result of that transformation that has occurred through obedience to the gospel, we've been saved to serve. And so we're called upon to live a life of activity, of action. Now let me ask this question. Why did, why did Mary, why did she anoint Jesus? Why spend 300 days worth of wages in just a moment of time? Why do that? Do you think it had something to do with her love? The depth of love that she had for him? And so then, what about us? How much do we love the Lord? Do we love him enough to serve him day in and day out? In the book of Titus, Paul instructed Titus in the long ago, to have the older, more mature men to teach the younger men, and then the older, more mature women to teach the younger women. And in verse 7 he said that as God's people, we are to show ourselves as a pattern for good works, suggesting action, involvement, in chapter 2, verse 14, he would say that we are to be zealous for good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, he would say that we are to be ready unto every good work. Don't you think that Mary recognized, look, there's an opportunity here. Here is an opportunity for me to do something to demonstrate the depth of love and devotion that I have for the Lord. No one made her do it. But she did it because she wanted to. In chapter 3, verse 8 of the book of Titus, Paul would talk about be careful to maintain good works. Over and over again, he talks about being active. So the work that we engage in, here was a woman who was, as we would say, performing a good work on behalf of the Lord or for the Lord. But I tend to believe it was a labor of love. She did it because she loved him. The things that we do for Christ, do we do them because we love him? Because we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, that there is this debt of gratitude that, 
permeates our life. And see, we want to give back. We want to give because we have been given. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, would say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul knew something about the tremendous sacrifice God made for the human family. He also recognized the sacrifice that Jesus made on his behalf because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about how Christ loved him and gave himself for him. That's personal, isn't it? And so in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer there could talk about how God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. The things that we do, I would hope and pray that we do them in the name of Christ because we love him. That's the motivating factor. That's the catalyst by, behind everything that we do, whether it be our worship or our work in the kingdom. So her actions, but then look also at what Jesus has to say. Think about her ability. In verse 8, here's what Jesus said. She has done what she could. There is no greater compliment than to simply do what we can do in the kingdom of God. You know, God doesn't ask you to do things that you don't possess the ability to engage in. All he asks of you is to do what you can do. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talks about the parable of the talents, you remember one man had five talents, another man had two, another had one. Two of those men used their ability to garner more. One did not. You have tremendous ability. And all God asks of you is that you would use the ability that you possess for His glory. It's not about us. It's about the Lord, isn't it? And you think about Jesus here in this context. Here's someone who has demonstrated a depth of love and devotion and as we would say, gratitude. She did it because she wanted to do it. She did it because she had the ability to do it, and the Lord commended her, didn't he? So what about us? Not only did he commend her, because we read of that commendation by the Lord, but there is what the text would say, a commemoration. Note what Jesus says in verse 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. Let's put that into perspective. Look at some of the great servants of God in the New Testament. Peter. And what a great man Peter was. Peter had his faults, but he was still a great man, wasn't he? And we have, rec we have a record of his life with Jesus during the ministry of the Lord. 
We have a record of his involvement in the work of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. We have two letters that he penned under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Peter is a name that is known far and wide, isn't it? Same thing's true about the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, and you think about all their great exploits and all the many things and the, all the tremendous accomplishments in their lifetime. And yet here's Jesus saying that this, this sweet lady will be remembered throughout the whole world from generation to generation. Why? Because she did what she, she, did what she, she could do. There was something that she had the opportunity to do. She had the ability to do it, and she did it. So, what about us? I asked a question a moment ago. What do you think about Jesus? You know, Jesus asked the question on one occasion, who do men say that I am? On another occasion, Jesus would ask the question, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? But in this context, can't we ask the question, what do we think of Jesus? Actions speak louder than words, don't they? So here's this lady that has, as Jesus said, performed a good work for me. She's done something very special. She gave, as we would say, the best of the best. An extravagant gift. An expensive gift. So what about us? If the choice were presented to you, would you offer the Lord expensive perfume or cheap perfume? Think about that for a minute. Now, we talk about our love and devotion for the Lord. For example, those of us who preach. Is it possible for those of us who preach to trot out every Sunday a substandard lesson based upon something other than what the Bible has to say? Yes. Would it be possible for those of us who preach and teach the Word of God, rather than giving our very best every single week to just piecemeal something together? Sure. And in so doing, wouldn't that say something about what we think about Jesus? And in a way, wouldn't that be offering a cheapened form of perfume. You know, the Bible's very clear. Those of us who preach are to preach the word. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In season, out of season. We are to preach the whole counsel of God according to Acts chapter 20, verse 27. And so, as a preacher... 
We ought to strive every week to give our best. Now, sometimes we fall miserably short of what we expect from ourselves. But the effort is there. Elders in the Lord's church have the responsibility of leading, feeding, caring, and knowing the church, don't they? Would it be possible for elders in the Lord's church to get so caught up in the, in the material, the physical side of the church, that they forget about the spiritual? Yes. And in so doing, would that not be a reflection of what they think about Jesus? Yes. Would that not be giving the Lord a cheapened form of perfume? Yes. Why? Because the expectation level. You see, those of us who preach, there is an expectation level. Those of us or those who serve as elders, there is an expectation level. Deacons in the church are to have a specific task. Those who serve as deacons, would it be possible to minimize their work, to neglect their work, to fail miserably in the task that has been given unto them? Well, of course. In so doing, would that not be a reflection of what they think about Jesus? Yes. Would that not be offering him a form of cheap perfume? Again, the answer is yes. Think about those of us who are members of the body of Christ. All of the talent or ability that exists within the framework of a local congregation if as members of the Lord's church, rather than giving the Lord the entirety of our life, rather than loving Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind and putting first the kingdom in our lives, if we simply give the Lord the crumbs of life, is that not saying something about what we think about the Lord? Isn't that, in a sense, giving the Lord a cheapened form of perfection Perfume? Again, the answer is yes. And so when you look at this act of devotion, and Mary, in devotion, love, and sacrifice, gave the best of the best. What about our giving? You know, the Bible talks about how we are to give every first day of the week. Is it possible that we live in lavish homes and our homes furnished as nice as humanly possible? We drive the best automobiles. We take extravagant trips every year. We spend an endless amount of money on this and that. And then every first day of the week, what do we give the Lord? The scraps? Throw in a token 20. Give him 50 bucks. 
Does that not say something about what we think of the Lord? Is that not giving him a cheapened form of perfume? I mean, this lady gave the best of the best. She gave nearly a year's wages in this one act of devotion. Sometimes sit down and look at how much you earn and how much you give back to the Lord. It'll shock you. How much, how much do you love the Lord? When it's all said and done, the smoke clears and we're standing before God one day, will he say of us, we did what we could? The Lord doesn't ask you to go to some foreign mission field and preach the gospel. He doesn't ask you to get up in a pulpit and preach every Sunday or lead singing or teach Bible class if you don't have the ability. He doesn't expect you to do something that you do not possess the ability to do. But if you have the ability to do something, then by all means do it and do it with all your might. And if you do that, the Lord will bless you. Not only will he bless you, but you'll be praised for it. I want to close tonight by simply saying that when you look at this account, it's extremely powerful because it says a lot about what one lady thought about Jesus. I would encourage you tonight and this week and the next few days to sit down and reflect upon what Jesus means to you, what you really think about him. It might be good to sit down, take two sheets of paper and write out on one sheet of paper what you really think about Jesus. On the other sheet of paper, write down how you show your love for Jesus. In other words, how you're demonstrating it. What you're doing in his name. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus talked about that great and final day when all nations would be gathered before him? And he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And they asked the question, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or a stranger or sick and in prison? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my brethren, he said, you did it unto me. What we do is not about it's not about personal glory, personal adulation. It's not about doing things so that other people will look at us and say what a great person we are, but rather we're doing it for the cause of Christ. We have the right motivation. We love him. We're doing it because we have the ability to do it, and we're doing it because we want to do it. And we're doing it because we want to bring honor and glory to him, right? 
Do you remember Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ultimately, that's what it's about, isn't it? Bringing honor and glory to God. If you're here tonight, and maybe you're not a disciple of Christ, you're not one of his followers, you've never obeyed the gospel, you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, but you've never repented of your sins, you've never confessed his name before others, you've never been baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, according to Acts 22, 16, why wouldn't you want to do that tonight? Why would you want to leave here tonight without all the spiritual blessings that are found only in Christ? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want you to know, God wants you to know that his desire for you is that you might be saved. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, and maybe in your heart of hearts, when you think about that question, what do I think of Jesus? Maybe my actions and my thoughts haven't necessarily coincided. So you want to do better. It may be the case that you want the church to pray on your behalf, to pray with you and for you. Look, we'd be happy to do that for you tonight and with you tonight. So whatever your need, won't you come as we stand and sing?